Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Forecast is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of Forecast is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about a business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. And by squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash forecast and be sure to check out their annual plans for savings of up to 20% off. What sort of future do you think we're heading for? How will we live as we slip into the 21st century? Welcome to Forecast, episode 76. I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm Scott Johnson. And once again, we meet and bring along a couple guests to get their visions of the future. Sorry we didn't have a show last week. If you're looking for it in your feeds, I know a few people were asking me on Twitter about it. Uh, but we had we had a little confusion with guests, and Scott had a last-minute uh, emergency uh, whereby he did get his bionic eye implanted, yeah, so it was yeah. totally worth it, uh, but but we weren't able to bring you a show. Right eye first, left eye in a couple of years. Can't afford them both at the same time. That's Not why really. they call him Left Eye Johnson. <laughs> old lefty but yeah it's good to be back uh it's weird not having a, a, a show i mean my schedule is such that it feels like time just went like that so it's almost like we didn't miss a week but i know the listeners were pining for some cool future predicting and uh, we didn't deliver so today a double dose not really but we're back. a double dose of awesomeness though with our guests uh joining us brian Doty. Founder and app designer and developer at Tapiki. I, I got to hang out with uh, Brian at the uh, Honolulu Mac and Apple User Society a couple weeks ago. Uh, it, was, it was great for you guys to have me out there. It was great to see you, but it uh, looks like you've already lost your tan, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I didn't go outside much except for Spam uh, Jam. So, you know, uh, you wouldn't really see tan. Cool. You'd just see me turn red. Mm. <laughs> Also joining us, Ryan Ozawa, blogger, vlogger, podcaster, writer, citizen media evangelist, and lost fan in paradise. You might know him from the transmission. Welcome, Ryan. Aloha. It's a really good pleasure to be here. I was actually on a panel with Ryan and Brian both. Uh, so it's, it's a pleasure right, to be talking right. with you guys again so soon. Absolutely. Absolutely, we're we're very thrilled, and uh, I know that the real the, the real reason for the week off was the uh, the aftermath of the spam jam. It can it can be kind of hard on the rookies. It does. Hey, I, <laughs> who are you calling rookie? <laughs> I've been ordering spam masubi for decades. It was a little hard. On me. I, All I right, got a quick I got a quick question for our guests. I get it out of the way. Sure. So, sure, Ryan, sure. you used to do the transmission. It was a huge show. It was a big deal for Lost fans, yeah. right? Absolutely. And then you kind of it stopped doing it, it for a while. Accurate. And every, and everybody mm-hmm. bugged you constantly about bringing that thing back. Now that Lost is over, are people not asking you to bring it back anymore? Or do you still get people asking you to start it up again? I am very, very happy to say that there are still people. You know, actually, we've promised one final show for the last <laughs> nine months. So um, I think the upcoming one-year reunion will be a good chance to release that. But we, we still want to podcast and i'm happy to say despite the fact that if you google pod fading you end up with an article about my wife and i quitting our podcast that uh, we still want to keep up with it uh, well i miss it but it's uh it's awesome to have you on in this capacity tonight 
You should just start doing other oh, J.J. Abrams shows. <laughs> we, should. Oh, we thought about that. We thought about that. Like Felicity. <laughs> yeah, or if you're going to do a final oh. episode, do it in a church and make it really hard to figure out what the crap happened. Do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll walk. We'll talk backwards holding a log. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's uh, get to a prediction from one of our listeners. Eric, a.k.a. Jogger30, says, My prediction is regarding population growth and energy consumption. Uh, he writes... I believe that as the population grows significantly, people will not migrate more towards the center of the United States, but even more towards the coastlines. Once this region becomes overly populated, we will start to form cities, even states and territories on the ocean. The next state will be a boundary of ocean water. The main reason for this is because of energy consumption. We will have future technologies of harvesting the currents in the ocean for power and using improved wind and solar technologies. I envision the future ocean cities to be a cross between a cruise ship and a giant football stadium with the entire exterior of the structure designed to maximize the aforementioned technologies. People in these cities will not want to pay 100 per gallon of gas and will choose to live in closer quarters that provide everyday necessities. Interesting. Uh, we, aren't we kind of halfway there then? I mean, we we already have a, a, a situation in this country and other nations where the most commerce and trade ports and all that stuff is on the coast. Um, you know, California and Los Angeles and then and the entirety of, of that side of our country is a bustling, you know, business oriented, maybe a bankrupt state, but still a lot of things come through there and things happen there. And on the East Coast, same thing. So maybe we're Almost there. All we need now is somebody to start building that thing that's just off the coast that we can all travel to and set up camp and claim our land and grow our beans and do whatever it is we do. Well, Brian and Ryan, you live in the natural version of this. You know, Hawaii is is a, a series of, of volcanic islands. Uh, do you think people would move into totally artificial islands that are just floating out in the middle of the ocean? I, th- I think um, what I feel is people will move where it's economical for them. And if these floating islands are cheap, that's where people are going to go to. My guess is only the rich or affluent will be able to afford to, to live on these, on these floating islands. Um, and because of that, the barrier to entry for most people will be too high. And people, people can get the cheap power that these islands produce through cables and, and other means to, to the center of the United States, and people will live <clears throat> where they can afford so, like the state, will, the, will yeah. the the main part of the land of the United States become essentially a battery in a way? Like all of the power and the resources will sort of funnel outward to these islands, and it will become be kind of this, I don't know, barren wasteland eventually because we've used everything up. But is that how you kind of see it? These are all just sort of siphoning. These islands are siphoning off the mainland. I, I was thinking of it in the opposite, where the islands were producing through you know wave energy or solar. Um, because they're they're movable platforms and they can be pushed further offshore, inshore, um, that they are the generators of the power and they would funnel it to the rest of the United States where land is cheaper, uh, the land doesn't move and people don't get seasick. Uh, just ASICs just uh, sent us a list of artificial islands from Wikipedia. Apparently Bahrain has like eight of them. There's a few operated by China. Europe has some. Of course, uh, Sealand is probably one of the... Uh, more uh, famous of them it's a it's an independent island built on a uh, an old oil platform that declared itself independent of the united kingdom ryan what do you think is this uh, something that that you would do or do you agree with brian that only uh, only the rich would be able to afford it 
I, I definitely agree with that. I think that we've seen the wars that we've waged on this earth for access to oil. Well, I think the future uh, asset, the commodity that everyone's going to be after is water. And although seawater isn't exactly drinkable, we already see the, the movement of wealth and um, the ownership of property being highly coveted on coastlines. It seems really natural to me that eventually if you can create your own island, you can in fact be even uh, um, offshore and on your, you know, create your own nation. I think many people have already seen that as a, as a, as a way out of maybe constrictive laws in their own governments. And as you become extremely wealthy, you'll probably uh, move offshore. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. Uh, very thought-provoking uh, email that you sent to us. Uh, and you, too, can send us your predictions. You listening, email forecastpodcast at gmail.com or post them up at our blog, forecastpodcast.com. We thank you for your emails. Let's get into the short-term predicting now. We'll start with you, Ryan. Uh, these are things you think will happen sooner rather than later. What's your first short-term prediction? Well, my first short-term prediction is very unlikely, but I want to make it anyway, and that is that Facebook will implode. I mean, a lot of people look at something like uh, maybe Friendster or MySpace and say that Facebook will eventually just be superseded by another big thing. The end of Facebook being something large and catastrophic. So when you say implode, do you mean physically? Well, suppose that in a sense, but in the sense that we already see that it is the largest site. It is essentially the internet for a, for a generation. To me, it sounds like AOL, you know, 20 years ago, and now it's like you can watch a TV ad, and instead of saying go to Pepsi.com, they want you to go to Facebook.com slash Pepsi, and that's just ridiculous to me. Um, and I think as people move more and more of their companies and more and more of their identities to Facebook, it'll be untenable. It'll be too much in one place, and eventually there's going to be a battle for control that will, will destroy it. I think I think ultimately it'll be the users who uh, determine how much that or how quickly that caves in. But I kind of I kind of agree. And it was recently here that I had an experience that sort of mirrors what you're saying. Some ad came on for something. I don't know what it was, car company or something. And now you're seeing it more and more. Go to facebook.com slash Ford or whatever. And I see that and I go, wait a minute. I was alive in the 90s. You were doing that to me back then. And it was something else. It was called AOL. And you were trying to get me to do keywords. And I don't want to go down that path again. And I don't know what, I mean, what changed in the AOL world was the rest of the web hadn't really gotten to a place where it was, I guess, developed out to be something better than what they could offer there. And as it started to do that, people went, forget this, starts with the hardcores and moves out to, you know, general usership. And they're like, forget this. I don't want this walled garden. I want this better thing. But in this case, we have all the other things going. It's just that Facebook is offering the best mainstream sort of central location to talk, communicate, share stuff. And until that changes, until they no longer can sort of stake that claim, that's when you'll see this thing fall apart. So I, I think your prediction is right. I just don't know when that is. Like, what is the tipping point for Facebook to not be the powerful draw that it is? And I don't, I don't know when that is. Brian, do you think, I mean, AOL hasn't totally imploded uh, itself. And, it, and it's the best example people use often as a comparison to Facebook. Do you, do you think Facebook will uh, suffer an implosion or do you think it will just sort of drift with the times and maybe become a dinosaur or never go away? I think that um, what Facebook, what I think Facebook would do is hopefully learn from the lessons of AOL and evolve to match what the users are expecting. Um, you know, at this point in the game, they've got us hostage. It's sort of critical mass. Everyone you know is on Facebook. All your stuff is on Facebook, all your photos, 
your your digital life basically is already there. And so they have us as, as this huge captive audience. And, and if they don't evolve over time to become the next cool kid on the block, then, then I see Ryan's prediction coming true. If, if they're savvy and, and they know when to, you know, quote unquote, kill the cash cow and, and change directions and do something radically different, um, unless they do that, then, then they'll go the way of the dodo. But, but my hope is that they figure it out ahead of time and, and don't make those same mistakes because <clears throat> for, for any of us to leave Facebook is a pretty painful experience. Not, not the, um, addiction aspect, but all of our stuff is there. It's same, same with trying to quit Flickr or anybody else. If you've got your life up there, it's really hard to change. And they keep giving you things like, hey, host your email here. And yeah, hey, do, these other ten, do all these other things here that, that keep you having to stay there. I mean, I think there's no, no question that they do those things or they introduce those services, not as value adds or not as the next great phase in Facebook, but as the great, you know, what are we doing to make sure people... It's really hard for people to, to leave here. And exactly, it's a viable, exactly. it's a viable strategy and they're going to do it until they, until they can. But I, I suspect we'll see a lot more of that before we get there. Well, where I see the implosion is that you see right now, if a company, a business doesn't want to be on Facebook, the fact of the matter is that company's fans just create a page and put that company on Facebook and they have no control over that. And I think you're seeing more and more in your personal life, it's hard for you to not be on Facebook because all of your friends are there. And what I think is going to happen is if you try to opt out of Facebook, all of your friends will create one for you. And when we're seeing Facebook <laughs> doing comments on blogs and basically trying to be your online identity across the web, that's going to become a really big issue. I mean, all you need is for one senator to have his public Facebook page created by someone else and become a hotbed of an enormous scandal. And you're going to see a lot of things happen really quickly. I don't know. Facebook may just get smart enough to create your page for you. It's, you know, you, if you if you don't have one, you sign up. It's like, ah, oh, we already know all of these things about you. We've pre-populated your page with your interests and your birth date and all of the information we've gleaned from the web through our partnership with Google. Oh, man. Or your partnership with classmates.com or your part yeah, yeah. partnership with the public <laughs> records information. Yeah, yep, exactly. All right, Brian, let's, uh, let's turn it to you for the short-term prediction, things you see in the near future. What do you got for us? So for my prediction for the near future, I'm, I'm thinking that the, the mouse and the DVD are both on their way out. They're both dinosaurs. They're both old technology. Um, the next generation of computer users will be raised on touch interfaces. And so the, the mouse will slowly become something that you see from time to time, but not, not everyone's everyday computing input device. And, and I see the same thing happening with DVDs. The, the rumor of, uh, you know, Lion being released as a download kind of fits in with, with what, I, what I'm thinking for the future in that we, we no longer buy our software through DVDs and we no longer watch our movies through DVDs. I mean, some of us do, but a lot of us stream. And <clears throat> last week I tried to find an old software install and I tried to find the DVD and it was the most frustrating experience. I think we, we move beyond that and we get everything you know, online, we download our software, we download our music, we download our movies, and we, we see the death of these sort of physical media. That'd be awesome. Uh, and, we, and this comes up quite a bit on the show. Um, I want to talk about the mouse thing, though, just to ask you a, a question about the theory sure. about the mouse. So in the past, the rise of the mouse, for example, came out of this sort of, all right, we're all using keyboards, that's working okay. Ooh, what's this thing with buttons on it? How does that work? And we 
we immediately like it and we start adopting it. And before you know it, eventually, over a period of maybe, I don't know, let's call it a decade, everything uses a mouse. But it's using yep. a mouse in addition to that keyboard. So what we haven't really experienced yet is an input method to come and be very popular for a big chunk of time and then go completely off the radar uh, and, and be replaced with something else. And you're, do you think touchscreen and that technology and our ability to not get tired arms and everything else will supersede the mouse in that way? Because it would be a first for an input device. We really haven't seen one come and then just disappear. Uh, do you think that, it's, that it would be strong enough to really kick it out that way? That's, that's my prediction. I think, I think it's not necessarily touchscreen, but it's the ever-evolving size and, and intelligence of uh, touchpads, for example, like the one I'm using you know, right now. Um, what, what I think, the reason, my reason for thinking this way is how intuitive these interfaces are, not just being able to touch the screen per se, but being able to touch the touchpad and watching people not have to be taught how to use a mouse, uh, not having to, to learn how to use it. It's very, very intuitive and it's very natural. Um, that said, I, I think there's a lot of challenges. And, and the next big one I see you know, beyond that is, is the, the keyboard. And, and it's like what you said, it, it'll take 10 years for people to be able to type as quickly as they do on a physical keyboard uh, on an iPad, for example. But in 10 years time, I guarantee that people will be just as fast and, and, and just as uh, open to using a, a touchscreen keyboard as opposed to a physical keyboard. Ryan, if, if a strange virus came along and destroyed all of your, your mouse and, and DVD uh, possessions, would, would you be able to survive? Absolutely. And I think Brian and I have the same experience where we have iPads in the house and we have young children and older parents, both of whom didn't require any training. I mean, we've all had that experience sitting down with somebody and saying, here's the mouse and there's the pointer and this translates to that. And the fact of the matter is I didn't need to explain anything to either the previous generation or the next generation, how it works. So definitely, I think touch is going to be a big deal. Um, actually, one of my um, the predictions that I didn't make was about the keyboard because a lot of people have been talking about the death of handwriting recently. There's a New York Times piece that kids aren't learning cursive, and I, my kids' handwriting is terrible. And I'm also wondering how relevant is that as a skill? But yet they're learning how to type on a keyboard before they'll ever get an official class on how to use a keyboard i think that we're going to leapfrog over it and do things like voice control things that come to us naturally just like touch that don't require us to use an intermediary to translate our intentions well, don't those technologies make you mad they make me mad so you've got voice recognition which for the longest time was this holy grail this thing we couldn't accomplish and we were and people are just talking about in the chat room that technology has finally reached the point where it works it actually freaking works now and no one's all that excited about it. It kind of shows up for stuff, and it's like, eh. But back in the early 90s, we were all jumping over each other trying to get our hands <laughs> on some kind of cool voice recognition, yeah, yeah. and it just was never there. And the same holds true for things like virtual reality. I remember these stupid helmets they were trying to get us to get excited about, and they were so bad and so horribly imp implemented. There was not enough processing power and video power to produce what was needed uh, to make that a cool technology. And today, we can knock the socks off of people with that kind of tech, but no one cares anymore. So I, I hope people just would quit forgetting these awesome techs that we, we are more, you know, we're more excited about them than we can actually produce them 10 years ago. But now we can actually do that stuff. And voice recognition is, in my opinion, along with things like touch and stuff, if, there, if anything's going to supersede everything, it's that. It's us going, you know, computer, bring up this and type this. And it, having it do it flawlessly reason, without any issues. The reason why I think it'll happen is because um, just like my children don't need to be taught how to use 
uh, iPad because they know how touch works. Touch manipulates and moves things in an environment. I think the same thing happens with speech. I don't need to worry about if are they going to use Dvorak or QWERTY or what's going to be the, the keyboard environment. They don't need to do that as long as they can communicate with another human being. So I think that's why it'll become compelling. Maybe not for us because we've struggled through the early editions of whatever Dragon was in the old days, and it would completely foul up. And you know the David Poe columns that he tried to tried to dictate, and he would just get haiku from Vogon poetry. I think we're definitely getting to a point where it's good. <laughs> yeah, we don't need any more Vogon poetry. Be passed along. That, that's killer. That's killer stuff. All right. Uh, let's take a, a quick break before we get to the long-term predictions and thank our sponsor, Squarespace.com. If you want an easy way to start a website, my friends, you want to use Squarespace.com right now. You can sign up for a free 14-day trial at Squarespace.com slash forecast. And when you do, you'll see an easy-to-use UI. You can just go in and immediately choose a template and you have a good-looking website like that. But if you want to tweak around and play with it and make it more personal, you can do that too. And you don't even have to know any cascading style sheets or HTML if you don't want to. If you know a little bit, you can get under the hood and you can you can tweak things to your heart's content, but you don't have to. They imply they include all kinds of modules, so you can add things like Twitter and Flickr and social media buttons to connect your visitors to your networks, your Facebook. We're talking all about how Facebook runs everything. You can punch Facebook and connect it right into your website with Squarespace. Uh, website tracking so you know who's visiting your blog. And if you already have a blog, they have a module that can import your content. And it makes it easy to export as well. If you decide to leave Squarespace at some time, you're not locked in. Uh, you're gonna, they only want you to use Squarespace because you enjoy using it. And we use it for forecastpodcast.com. If you want to see an example of what a uh, Squarespace blog can look at, check it out. And then show your support for Forecast by going to squarespace.com slash forecast and signing up for a free account. You don't even need a credit card. Uh, just sign up, squarespace.com slash F-O-U-R-C-A-S-T. We love Squarespace, and we thank them for their support of Forecast. Let's move on to the long-term predictions. These are uh, longer view, more than in 100 years or so, the, the that kind of time frame. And, and we'll stick with you, Ryan. Uh, Ozawa, what is your long-term prediction? Well, just as I just predicted, the death of Facebook. I do think that it's going to, it's demonstrated the need that I always felt existed, but nobody had been able to show. And that's sort of an idea of a centralized news feed for everything. I don't know if you would see it as your own personal web page. I liked how you had Jeremiah Aoyang on previously, and he said, there won't be any URLs anymore. There'll just sort of be identity points and connection points. But I think something to that effect, where basically all the information that we get comes in through a single way. It's maybe not a Facebook newsfeed, but I like the idea that you can use something like that to track not just who the winner of an election is and not just who won American Idol or who is the prom king on, on a fictional TV show, but also the information that's valid to you, that your wife got home safely, that your kids are getting good grades, but all somehow in a single place. Wow. So <clears throat> do you think that it just occurred to me that maybe this is how Facebook survives, or maybe this is how Google survives, or this is how other companies now... How somebody steals the thunder from Facebook, man. Yeah, yeah. Some of this is maybe how somebody who serves Facebook, they figure out a way to do it, just like Facebook did that in the face of other lesser competitors in the, in the space they were in then. So uh, do you, you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I mean, I think what you see in your Facebook stream is an incredibly valuable resource. It's just my annoyance that it's a single company or that company and the way that it's doing it. But you think about it, that 
So I find out that friends are getting married or divorced or had or had their kids. But that's also how I find out about maybe Osama bin Laden or I find out uh, how contentious the ending of Lost was. I mean, the, 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 the divisions of news and entertainment and family information and regional information, local weather, traffic reports, a sale at the, the nearest coffee shop or the Chipotle, you know, all of that can come together in one place the same way that you're seeing in Facebook. I just don't think it's going to be them. I'd like to think that you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same, that someday we're all going to have our own website or whatever the equivalent of our website is and not be reliant on another service provider. But uh, but definitely what we see in news feeds is what I think is going to be key to surviving. I, I think this is a, uh, an opportunity uh, more than a prediction. It may not even be long as long term. Uh, if, if somebody can figure out how to crack the code to pull in all of this information that we're creating in all of these different places, because, yeah, most people are on Facebook and most of the, the content creation is happening there, but it's also happening in large amounts on Twitter. It's also happening in Tumblr. It's also happening in blogs. It's, you know, and, and if somebody can say, hey, I'm going to be the independent here, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull it in no matter where it's from. Actually, Zydo, X-Y-D-O, is uh, is sort of attempting that just with news. It looks at your Facebook, your Twitter, uh, and on all your social networks, and then creates a news feed of news items. It's not what you're talking about, Ryan, though. That's the next evolution is somebody saying, I'm just going to get your status updates and I'm going to parse it. And I have this magic algorithm that figures out this is the important stuff for you and raises it up to the top. Because I know what you're talking about. That news feed in Facebook is really compelling when it works. Well, I like the fact that you would add in not just content that people are creating and doing across platforms, but you know that it becomes seamless, that I use a glimpse to know where my wife is on her yeah. way home from a class, or I use uh, another service to know when my uh, daughter's on the bus from school. And right now, I'm still checking six or seven other places to get all the information I need, not necessarily one thing, but across all sorts of things. I, it's not just aggregating those parts, but finding the personal parts, not personalized news, but stuff about my life for sure. Brian, uh, do, do you see this as a, as a good long-term prediction? Does this sound like something that you, you'd be interested in using? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> what, I, what I think is, is sort of key for Ryan's vision is the, the automation of the whole process. I mean, in, in that, you know, in the hundred years, we have sensors everywhere, computers everywhere, computers in your fridge and computers in your car and computers in your shoes. And, and all, all of this shoes. aggregated data, well, <laughs> maybe not your shoes, but um, all of this aggregated data coming together in a feed that is really your life stream is really compelling. And I can see that in the future. I think one thing that I would be cautious about or, or cautiously optimistic is some way in some algorithm that both curates that content and also applies sort of the Apple iTunes genius to it. So if I'm interested in, in you know, subject A, it knows that subject A is related to subject B and it starts feeding me subject B and, and sort of provides me discovery of content that I would never have found on my own. And, and it may not be something that I am even remotely interested in, but <clears throat> having an algorithm that could bring that kind of stuff into my feed. Would, um, and at the same time, the things that I, I, I tire of, I, I, wish, I wish you could fine tune your, your news feeds so that the, the things that you don't want to see are, are no longer there. Well, there are there are definitely attempts to do this now. You're starting to see apps pop up on the iPad and other devices that are that are trying to do this. They see what you're reading and they go, "Oh, we think you might like this." But it's kind of the you know the Google approach to 
you know, AdSense and that sort of thing. I, I feel like that we are now at a space for this idea that we were 10 years ago for, say, voice recognition. It's kind of like this yep, tech yep. that's really hard to reach. It's kind of holy grailish. We don't know quite what to do. But if we keep hammering on it, I think in the next decade, easy. Uh, you know, this we call this long term, but I think sooner than later, we're going to start to see this kind of thing. And, we're, and we'll start to see it less less branded. Like it'll be less about you relying on a company to bring this to you and more of you relying on yourself to do the thing you wanted to do. Putting more of this functionality in the hands of users and out of the hands of of, of walled gardens like Facebook and others, I think is a good move. And I, and I hope it goes that direction. I don't even know what that means or what that would mean, but um, it'd be nice if we didn't have to rely on some, you know, monolith to tell us how to do it. Exactly. I think there's a, I think there's a good point that was brought up by a recent Ted talk that Eli Pariser did about filter bubbles though. Um, as much as I want everything in one feed, I want to know when the milk goes bad in my, in my fridge and when my car needs to have its oil changed. At the same time, I want to know about election results. But when you've got everything coming in one place, even if that's convenient, um, we're talking about algorithms trying to figure out what we want to see and what we don't want to see. I think the the, the dark side of that is a filter that tries to give you only the news that you will like, even though bad news is a key part of the human experience and, and things we disagree with is a key part of the human experience. So if you didn't uh, see that that TED Talk, the filter bubbles TED Talk, it's definitely food for thought. Well, I think a good algorithm would actually satisfy that condition for you because you would hopefully say, you know, I want serendipity. I want there to be uh, things that I, I don't expect, you know, to, to keep it interesting. Because I think if it did only always show you what you're interested, what you're already expressed interest in, you might actually get bored because you mm, want to see point. some novelty. You want to see something new and unexpected. So, so maybe the, you know, if you conceive of a perfect algorithm, it, it would take that into account. I don't know. Uh, let's uh, let's move over to you, Brian. Your long term prediction in the uh, the flying cars arena. What do you got for us? So in a, in a hundred years, what I, what I predict is uh, what I like to call memory augmentation, and 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 I see. And the first step of this is hard drive implants for your brain, basically, um, which is which is not just the fact that you have a hard drive in your brain, but that hard drive can access the cloud. It can access data. Um, and, re and inject those results into your short-term memory. And, and the, what I see in the beauty of this is, is not so much the, I mean, the hardware would be cool. Having an augmented memory would be cool so that I could query a, a Google search and get the answers in my brain. Um, but can you imagine the, the flip side of this uh, and, and the business opportunity for accessing premium content, accessing real-time streams, um, and God forbid, accessing this kind of content ad-free uh, accessing push notifications and all of it being streamed, you know, to that proverbial jack in the back of my head. Um, I, I sort of see that happening in a hundred years, and and I see people pushing both sides of the coin. I see people pushing the the implants and and that in and of itself, which I sort of equate to the iPod, and I I see the other side of it, the iTunes Music Store, the guys that are going to try and push content to this device in your head. Um, charge you for access to the web via this device and sort of the whole cottage industry around that. Well, now, I, I, th I think uh, I'll take you one step further and say, what if we uh, just write directly to the neurons? We, we figure out how to, how to use that as storage. Yeah, I mean, if, if the... I, I only use a hard drive because it, it makes sense to me conceptually and, and visually, but if we could write directly to the neurons, that would be great. 
one thing I sort of was thinking about in, in this prediction is that it's it's a walled garden. It's it's where you mentally make the switch between, you know, this is me, my my brain, and this is my hard drive. And being able to swap things back and forth, but having a, a clear distinction between the two, um, <clears throat> as opposed to it being injected directly into your neurons, for example. Yeah, do you think we'd, we'd want to have local storage over cloud storage? Or would I that just or, or would that just put your head in the clouds? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if it's not already there. Um, I, I think you'd want both. I think you, you would want to be, you know, quote unquote, off grid. You'd want local storage. You'd want stuff that's private. Think of it as your, your private cloud, your, your data that you have access to and no one else has access to your, your, you know, your, your secret folder in your brain. Can you imagine the, um, the, the regulations side. the regulations they put in place for like, <laughs> I mean, like right now, if you're caught riding a, a, a bicycle with your headphones in, you know, they'll bust you for that. And I can't imagine how they would have to sort of track who's listening to music in their head. I mean, there would be no outward sign that you were, you know, that you were doing that. But I always think of these but, things, like these great future inventions, these incredible new ideas that we have on the show. My brain always goes back to this. Well, how would society deal with such a thing? So have you thought about that? What would it mean to, to everyday life or your ability to communicate with others? Would it be enhanced? Would it be hindered? Like, how do you see some of those effects? I think our abilities to communicate with, with others would be enhanced, but more so our abilities to make sense of our environments would be greatly enhanced. Because in this, in this 100-year future, again, I see embedded sensors and devices everywhere. And so the refrigerator can tell me as I walk up to it that, hey, you're out of milk or the milk just went bad. Uh, I, I didn't sort of think it through in terms of its impact on society and, and human to human relationships and, and that sort of things. I see it more of a, I need information and, and how do I get that information easily? And, and who's gonna charge me for that information and how am I gonna get it directly? Ryan, what do you think? Are you gonna install a uh, you know terabyte hard drive in your brain? I love this stuff. I love that idea in the sense that I've already outsourced much of my brain to Google. And if it's not in my Gmail inbox and I can't search for it, I'm lost. I mean, there's already so much that I think you can see that as a scary thing, but you can see that as a wonderful thing in the sense that technology is allowing us to know so much more than we could have before because we can keep it somewhere. What I think is really exciting about what Scott's saying, though, is, again, going back to the conversation about the end of I.O. devices um, and that there's not going to be this differentiator or this barrier between us and information. I think what's going to be key is how you protect it. I like the the concept that we do have local storage and it's going to have to be protected greatly because everything else right outside of that barrier is trying to get in, trying to sell us, trying to get something from us. So all of a sudden there's going to be brain firewalls and hackers trying to get in that way and you know the whole Inception movie coming to reality. Yeah, I, I think uh, security of the brain becomes a uh, <laughs> a serious <laughs> industry, uh, and and I, I I think you know it, whether it's a hard drive in the brain. Some people in the chat room are like, why not solid state drive? And I, I think that's just <laughs> taking it uh, too literally. But I think the idea that your brain is connected and has some processing power enhancing it. Uh, so that it can, whether it's, you know, connecting to a network and searching Google, I think that is going to happen. I think, you know, we're already seeing brain machine interfaces such that you, uh, monkeys can control cursors on screens with their mind just by thinking. Uh, and that, you know, uh, 
that's external, right? But eventually, that all, all that hardware that does that can move inside, and then you're just you're just thinking and moving things and connecting and and receiving information. And, and I think Brian, you're you're totally right. It's it's all about the movement and interpretation of information. All right, Scott, you got any uh, any more in the long term before we take a break? Mm, I'm going to say this one last thing about our long term predictions today. I hope it's SSS or SSD drives and not hard drives. That's all I wanted to say about that. I don't want no spinning parts. I don't want to bonk my head and have the, the heads crash. I don't want to deal with that anymore. We got to move to solid state brain implants or nothing. I think I think it becomes direct, direct to neural interface. It's yeah, just, there's, right. you know, we're just, we're just rewriting our, uh, our synapses on the fly. Well, you know, and, and, and this whole, you know, somebody told me the other day, the old, not old wives tale, but the old comment that, that we're only using 10% of our brain isn't true. Yeah. But, but there is an enormous amount of it. We're not regardless of the, percentage. there's a large, there's a large amount of our brain that we don't know the function of. Right. That's right. A de- that's, that's where the confusion comes in. It's like, doesn't mean it's not being used. We just don't know what it does. Yeah, so perhaps this is our tapping into that. We've yeah. got a way to store data there. And then the our ability to do, for me to just think, I need to talk to Tom. And Tom gets rung on the other end. And we can talk through our brains is infinitely appealing to me. I which, can't wait for this day. Which is fine when you're calling. But then, you know, sometimes it's going to be like bill collector. And you're going to be like, oh, right. God, how do anyway, I shut that part of my brain off? You have like a silence. See, that's the thing. There's so much functionality that we're trying to we're trying to apply, you know, current day standards to this sort of thing. But there's so many little pieces of this that would have to be in place. I'd have to be able to ignore lots of things and is ignoring like putting the thing on silent or do I have to physically do something? I mean, there's a lot to consider, but I love that kind of stuff. Bring it on. I'm ready for my implant now. All right. Uh, your implant hopefully will be able to deliver Netflix to you as well as they are our other sponsor, allowing you to instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies, not quite yet in your brain, but stream directly to your PC or Mac uh, or stream to your television. You got a Netflix-ready device like an Xbox 360 and Nintendo Wii. Uh, you can watch that stuff right there on your television. Plus, get DVDs by mail and about a business day. Uh, watch as many movies as you want, as many times as you want. Never any late fees or due dates. Scott, what's the latest? What's the last thing you uh, you've watched on Netflix? Oh my gosh, uh, documentary <clears throat> about uh, a bunch of old people that sing in their eighties and nineties. They sing like modern songs, and the name of the oh, Young at Heart, it's called. And it sounds cheesy on the surface of it, but it's old people singing like like punk, punk songs and rock songs and stuff on stage. And they tour around the country and they follow these people in their eighties and nineties just rocking these these concerts. It was awesome. And I've, I would have never probably found that without a service like Netflix. You always no find question. the cool documentaries on Netflix. I've noticed I that. I always hear about cool stuff like that from you. Yeah. One place uh, to, to look for help with your instant, uh, if you want to uh, go and watch instantly, uh, you go to netflix.com slash twit and you register for a free trial membership. You get 30 days for free. So there's there's really no reason for you not to go try it out. Show Express your, your appreciation for forecast and all the shows on Twit, uh, and sign up for a free trial at netflix.com slash twit. We thank them for their support of this week in tech's shows like forecasts. Okay, Brian, it's time for the crazy ass prediction. Uh, one really far <laughs> out there forecast, like in 2000 years, we'll all be made of cheese or something like that. What do you got? So my crazy ass prediction is uh, maybe not 2000 years off, maybe, maybe even sooner, but, but I see Google indexing the whole of human history and someone somewhere for malicious reasons figuring out a way to alter that 
Ooh. And so slowly over time, if you altered every little tidbit of Google News and, and, and Google indexing a book and all of that stuff, you could change history or change people's perception of history. And if you continue to do that uh, for a long period of time with, with a singular goal of disinformation, you could, you could wreak havoc. And, uh, and I think in 10, 20, 50 years, people will rely on Google as the truth and someone will figure out a way to, to alter that truth and, and do horrific things. So you're so really you're talking about what's I mean we'd be repeating history a little bit because the powers that be at various points in history have taken public record and other histories and when there wasn't a lot of publishing where many copies were created people are altering history and changing history and they, you know the old phrase that the winners write history and so you never really hear the real story this is a this is an interesting take on that because now we live in a time where there's lots of ways to document there's lots of paperwork lots of alternate sources they're all relatively at our fingertips and even that wouldn't be safe because somebody would figure out a way very subversively to go in there and say change it all right well obama you know said he to this thing killed bin laden but we're going to alter history to say that you know somebody's grandma did it with a shopping cart or whatever and they and they do it much more subtle than that but i could see how that would be um It'd be pretty bad. That'd be real bad because and we've all we got the implants in our head that are accessing this, so we just trust it, right? We're not even like paying attention. We don't remember right. what it said last time because we can't remember anything. Yeah, and right. we kind of do it now. We search exactly. for something in Google. We expect the search results to be relevant, and if they're not, sometimes we have no idea. Um, so exactly. you know, we we see every year the, the first of April. Everybody goes nuts with April Fool's jokes, and right. we uh, half of us buy into it again like a bunch of dummies. So. It wouldn't surprise me if this happened. I think the real life example of this that we'll probably sadly see in our lifetime is there will be a future where Greedo shot first. You know, we all know that Han <laughs> shot he first, did. But with enough revisionist information, with enough of the you know Google indexing changing of the of you know all of it becoming digital and not we're not writing about it. It's not in magazines. It's not in papers. If somebody says in their world this was the truth. Who are we to discount? I'd remember it, but who would believe us? So many children yeah. are growing up with that as their belief. Exactly. Do you... At one point in time, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Brian. Oh, at one point in time, I had this, uh, this idea where you could take people in different parts of the country and, and fake, uh, uh, fake a, a, a huge news story over Twitter because everyone trusts what comes out on Twitter. Um, and you could take Photoshop photos and you could, you could craft an interesting war of the worlds, you know, war of the worlds meets Twitter. Um, you know, holy crap, Ryan, did you feel that? And, and he replies on Twitter. Yes, I did. And I mean, we could make a whole fictitious event and you could craft stories in, in such a way that gets picked up by Google and with no social proof, with no, no, no ways of people verifying this information, people just take off and run with it. And, and over time, if you continue to do it, maybe not as sensationalist as that but if you subtly change things over time i think you could alter um you could alter history wait so are you saying that you could just say that you uh assassinated uh, an individual and then just hire someone on twitter to pretend like they were accidentally live blogging it and then never show a picture of the body and then just uh, and convince the everyone it really happened exactly this sounds like a exactly. tom spiracy to me Look, here's what I would say. I would say, first of all, I'll never say Tom Spiracy again, I promise. Um, but uh, 
Well, what it, what surprises me a little bit, Brian, is that we haven't already seen more of this. And some would argue that there's been things, but I haven't. There really hasn't been any major, uh, fraudulent, coordinated social effort to create fake news. And if someone's going to correct me, and they're going to say, "Oh, but what about that?" And I'll go, "Oh, there, yeah." There's been kind of a couple big. of attempts, but none of them have worked, or or I, I think been very serious. I think they, you know, because somebody redid War of the Worlds on Twitter, but so so does the so does the the correcting of the ship happen naturally because see this is an ar- kind of an argument in favor for citizen journal journalism and, and and that sort of thing we we are the ones that say whoa hold on a minute that doesn't seem right instead of just one source of some news organization that nobody knows and nobody can verify instead we have people on the ground who can do something about it and then we're the ones riding the ship there's something about that i i you know i really i really like and maybe that's why we haven't had something so big that it even fools uh, you know, the masses who are, who are sort of checking these things. Well, yeah, and I, I think we... Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I'm sorry. I think we, we, what, I'm, what I'm envisioning is sort of a longer-term process, and, and, and it's more subtle than sort of the, the things that I just mentioned. It's like Google's indexing all of the books, and let's just imagine that there's a slight error in the algorithm, and it changes every 10,000 word the to is. And, and over time... There's, there's not enough citizen journalists, there's not enough people that have the physical copy of the book to disprove that that's, the, that's what it said. And, and if you continue this over, you know, we're talking 2,000 years, in 2,000 years, when you, when you Google and search a book's text and that text is incorrect, you know, in 2,000 years, who's going to know the difference? Yeah, I, th- I think it's actually harder to fake news in the current milieu because you have so many eyes and ears out there uh, it was easier in the days of mass media when cameras and, and things were only in the hands of a few to say, like, well, this is the voice and it's telling me it, so it must be true. Uh, versus now you have, you know, everything has got a hundred different perspectives. And I, I remember when they were talking about snow in San Francisco and I was like, I'm in downtown San Francisco and it is not snowing here. You know, it was, there was a lot of debate about whether it was actually even snowing in San Francisco. And it, you narrowed it down to like, well, there were some flakes up on a tall hill on Twin Peaks you know, so technically it did snow, but not really. And and I and so I think that's the that's the case. And you're what you're talking about is more likely, which is history gets changed subtly in the background when we're not noticing, and we don't quite remember what it said in the first place. So when small changes happen, yeah, you know, we don't really tend to notice them. I think that's intriguing. All right, let's move over to you, Ryan. Uh, your crazy ass prediction. Time frame doesn't matter. Just take the leap into the world of crazy. What do you got for us? Well, I think mine caps off a lot of the conversation we just had, and it is we are going back to caveman days. I mean, we've talked about the loss of the ability to handwrite and soon the inability to use a keyboard because we can then just think what we want. You've got the monkeys moving cursors. Eventually, we can communicate and get things to happen in our environment just thinking about it. We don't even have to talk to our computers, let alone use a touch interface. We've talked about uh, the 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 singular singular news feed and having all of the information in our head, uh, uh, whether you call it a hard drive or a cloud or connected or not, firewalls or not, but basically we're going to get to the point where information and interaction can happen so seamlessly, simply at the level of thought of electric electrons of of bolts of light that we're going to not need to speak that we're going to move about much less frequently. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, uh, telecommuting on the show. Well, so we're not going to leave anywhere. We're not going to need to make noise. 
days, we're not going to need anything. We're, I say we're going to get back to grunts and snorts and howls. And basically, <laughs> all we're going to be able to express if we actually met another person in, in person is, is the same way that uh, the cavemen did or as animals do today. So will we literally de-evolve, though? Like, will we have less brain capacity? Will we have, like, do you see that? Do you see literally a, a reverse of what got us here and just seeing that in, uh, backwards? Or are we going to go, are we going to still be capable of much more, but we've just resigned ourselves to being just blobs doing nothing and yelling at each other or whatever? Well, you know, I think about this way more than I should. I, I kind of like the poetic sound of the fact that just like as we as humans start as blobs that can't speak and talk or, you know, take care of ourselves, we get to a level of self-sufficiency and then we eventually revert back to to not being able to interact. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating that if we have all of this implanted technology, if we have access to all, all the information in the world at any time, if we can interact with any other human being just by thinking about it, are we really living? So from an external point of view, you see all of us in our telecommuting homes doing our jobs by not moving, not talking, not interacting, knocking noise, just grunting when it's time to mate or something. And even if we are doing all of these wonderful things, does it matter and does it count? We are Devo. D-E-V-O. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. So I, I'm starting to imagine a world when you're t when you were explaining this where uh, we're we're all communicating constantly and, and we're in this virtual world uh, that's gorgeous and maybe Matrix-like and we can fly and do whatever we want and know the mysteries of, of every science and, and, and every, uh, every piece of academic knowledge. But if you, if you de disconnect for even a moment, it, we're all just kind of sitting around slovenly, you know, in, in, in shreds and rags and, and you know, the robots are kind of keeping us barely alive. But, uh, <laughs> You know, once the big crash happens and we're disconnected from the network, we wouldn't know how to exist. And we you, we would all go back to being uh, primitive man again because we, we would have lost that connection. That's yeah, how this, I think it's sort of like the Matrix film. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's how Terminator wins. You don't, you don't go and try to eliminate us. You get us dependent on the network and then just take away the network. Boom, we're all dead. That'll be it. And I'm all an we can do is grunt and whine I... and yell or whatever it is Ryan said. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I had an interesting uh, comment on, on that. Um, and and I, I telecommuted for a year and a half and, and rented out a, a single single room, tiny office. And the only forms of communication I had with my team back in Cupertino was uh, iChat and, and, you know, video and... Um, You're not going to tell me you, you know, started to become slovenly and caveman-like. Oh, grunting and um <laughs> it's it's actually if you don't speak to another person for eight to ten hours you'd be surprised how hard it is to have that first conversation afterwards yeah and i didn't realize it at first and it hit me over time being in a in a room isolated talking to 20 or 30 people through electronic means but not using my voice meant when i stood in line at starbucks and tried to order my drink i would stumble i would mumble i wouldn't know what to say because i haven't used my voice all day and so to Ryan's prediction, I can see that happening really quickly in that if you don't get out there and you don't socialize with other people, that we quickly lose our ability to to talk and, and to, to hold a conversation and to interact with people in a social environment. Because, I mean, I swear in eight to 10 hours a day, four days, five days a week, you can lose lose some of that pretty quick. 
I've had that uh, experience after just playing long stretches of video games where <laughs> you you forget how to interact with people on the, on the real level. You're, everything has become SimCity around you, and that, that's the only way you can think. Well, even Tom and I were playing Portal 2 co-op the other day and uh, the other night, last Friday. And at the end of that, even though you and I were communicating and doing a pretty good job, I thought anyway, a couple of those puzzles really had us going. But by the end of it, my brain was kind of mushy and weird. And when we left that, I dreamt about Portal. And I, all I could think about was like, where do I got to put the blue one? And if you put a red one over there and... It just got, <laughs> that stuff can get yeah, in you. it really does. You, know, you yeah. start looking up at your bed and going like, well, if I put a blue portal up there, <laughs> if there's an orange portal in the kitchen, I can get to the fridge a lot faster. <laughs> All right. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe, Scott, if my watch is correct, it is time for four questions. Oh, four questions, you say? Well, let me tell you what those are. These are very fast, rapid-fire questions. We ask our guests four questions each. They are not allowed to think too hard about these. They have to answer from the gut. So be ready. Are you guys ready? Let's see. Who am I doing? I'm today? Ready. Oh, Brian, Brian hey. I'm asking you. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Here we go. Uh, if you could develop the ultimate mobile app, what uh, that would end up being self-aware and destroying the world, what would you name it? Wow. Lolcats. <laughs> Trademark violation. I, ben, huh? Oh, sorry. I know Ben. He'd be, he'd be okay with destroying the world. Okay. Iru. All right. Iru, there it is. Iru the day I made this app. <laughs> on the App Store soon. Um, of all the tech on display in the Star Wars universe, which would you most like to see a reality? Lightsaber. People? By far. Gotta be the lightsabers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting Ryan answers too. This is kind of cool. We never had oh, two oh, people answer. <laughs> I, I thought you. I thought you said Ryan, not Brian. Oh, see, that's the problem with you guys. I knew that was going to happen before the end of this show, at least once. Yeah, we knew it. it. Just so happened to me. That's all right. You both were so far. You're both like, you know, batting a thousand here. Uh, let's see. Sparkles in toothpaste—a terrible idea or way ahead of its time? Way ahead of its time. <laughs> oh, really? So what? So can you just give me a brief idea of the future of sparkles in toothpaste? Well, I think the sparkles in the toothpaste help my children brush their teeth. <laughs> All right, you got me there. It's That's not true. Glittering, it doesn't have bling. It's not interesting. <laughs> bling in your toothpaste. Uh, and then finally, your fourth question: How many more times will we will we be told that eggs are neither good for us nor bad for us, and will we ever settle that question once and for all? That that question will never be settled. <laughs> I hate that question. Eggs, the eternal torment of Scott Johnson. I hate it. One minute they're good for me, the next minute they're bad. I don't know what to do with myself. But you, sir, have graduated from four questions. Congratulations. Nice job. All right. Ryan Ozawa, now that you are limbered up with a couple of four questions, (laughs) are you sitting comfortably? All right. Good. Then we'll begin. Question number one. What will J.J. Abrams be best remembered for? Oh, my. Uh, I'll go with uh, Alias and Sexy Spies. Ah, Sexy Spies. All right. Uh, question number two. When will Hawaiian upload speeds finally reach 10 megabits per second? <laughs> Not in my lifetime. <laughs> Damn it. That's one of my conditions Crazy for moving there. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> question number three. Will Superman ever meet Maui, the Hawaiian Superman? Absolutely. Hollywood's working on that one. I can't wait for that movie. Ooh. 
How long? Will, how long do you think we'll wait? Have to wait. I don't know. They're running out of ideas already, so not long. Yeah, probably not. Uh, <laughs> question number four: When aliens arrive, will we find they prefer Android or iOS? Ooh, Android. Why? See, I was hoping you would ask that question. Because <laughs> they're terrible, terrible creatures. Uh, oh, because it's uh, easily customizable for world domination. Right. They don't. They don't like the elegance and lock-in of the App Store. That's right. It, everyone in iOS will survive the alien invasion, is what you're saying. The user experience does not matter to the robot overlords that are coming. They All right. Uh, that is it for four questions. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Brian. And that's it for forecast. Thank you both. Oh, Thank you. Been great. Uh, Ryan Ozawa, mahalo for being on the show. Uh, and uh, let folks know what you're doing and where they can find you online. Well, my primary blog is hawaiiweblog.com, but I I mostly spend too much time on as Hawaii. You have you have the username Hawaii on pretty much everything, don't you? Most of them, most of them. Darn that visitors bureau, they beat <laughs> me sometimes. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah, wow. it is. Uh, Brian Dote, uh, app design and developer at Topeki. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Let folks know about what you're doing and where they can find it. So um, I'm currently building iRule. You know, we just talked about it. Um, at tapiki.com, T-A-P-I-K-I.com. And uh, I have a game coming out soon called Sushi Star, and uh, the link is right in the screen right there. Uh, if you're curious, try check it out. And if you're listening to audio, it's T-A-P-I-K-I.com slash Sushi Star Beta. Oh, cool. Except, say I a, you know I have an app sushi. show. I should totally check that out and review it. Yeah. yeah. Check it out. What, what is the name of your uh, app show? Well, uh, you may know Eileen. She's on it, too. Uh, I've heard of called- her. It's called App Slappy. It's all about iOS for, uh, you know, iOS apps for your iPhone, iPad, iPhone, uh, or iPod, rather. All those things, all that good stuff. And uh, it's every Tuesday right here on the Frog Pants Network. AppSlappy.com for more information. All right, folks, don't forget to leave comments on our website, ForecastPodcast.com, or send us an email at ForecastPodcast at gmail.com. No show next week because I'll be out of town on vacation, but we'll be back with you in a couple weeks. Thanks for waiting for us. We'll see you in the future. Bye-bye. Until me 32 years away. Way.